If you would, go ahead and find your way to 1 Samuel. I want to share a story with you this morning, and I love telling stories and sharing them in this format. Um, there's a lot of times where when we try to do a sermon and we have a topic to start with, sometimes it's hard to find, okay, this is what we believe God wants us to speak on, um, but where do we find that in the Bible? It's maybe a little bit backwards from what I'm more comfortable with, uh, but I believe God has directed me to this passage and this story, and I, I believe that God's Word will speak to all of us today because I think a lot of us will be able to relate to this story. So First Samuel's where we're at. And I want to read the first couple verses to get started and introduce you to a couple characters that are in this story. These are real events. Um, it's not uh, something that's made up. This is something that truly happened. So the first two verses, and um, the one on the screen would match the Bible that is in the seats. If you don't, didn't bring one with you, don't have one. And if you want to use that one, you can. And you can take it home with you if you want also. That's fine. We have plenty more to go. But in verse 1, it says there, and I'm going to... I feel like every time I pick a passage of verses, it always has hard names to go with it. I don't know why, and maybe God's trying to humble me in front of people, but he says, There was a certain man of Ramathaim, of Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, the son of Elihu, and son of Tohu, son of Zeph, and Ephrathite. Thank you. He had two wives, and in this, in this day and age, there, that wasn't uncommon, the fact that someone would have more than one wife, and we'll figure out why that was the case here. But he had two wives, and the name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this is the basis of the story we're going to read this morning and learn about and see what, uh, how God worked through it and also how that, this would apply to our lives also. Uh, so before we get any further, I do want to stop and pray and ask that God would use this time for that His Holy Spirit would speak to us. And I want you to do something too, this, while we're listening to God's Word, and, and even right now while we're going to make ourselves silent before Him, is that you would quiet your heart and that you would listen. We're going to learn later in this story that prayer and listening is really what changed the course of Israel. So let's do that now and, and pray for God to do that and meet with us this morning. God, I thank you for the Holy Spirit and the fact that since you sent the Holy Spirit, God, you can give us discernment, you give us wisdom, and you can lead us like we can't even lead ourselves. When it left up to us, God, we, we're lost. We're lost as sheep. And I pray that right now you help us quiet our hearts. I pray that you help us direct our hearts towards you and that we can... Be still and listen to what you have to say with us, say to us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So this is where we're at so far. We know that uh, Elkanah um, had two wives, so he's the husband of the story. We learn that he is actually a religious man. Uh, we're going to learn that he has his own flaws and, and makes maybe some mistakes along the way, but he was a, a religious man and actually really well-intentioned. He had good intentions with his wives and kids and even his religious duties um, as a believer. And then Hannah, we learn, had no kids. And in this day and age, a wife and a, a lady to have no kids was a very big deal. Uh, I, I will not act like I can relate to that. And I realize that there are probably some women here who 
have went through that um, issue of not being able to have kids. But in this day and age, it was probably a little bit worse. I mean, the reason I say that is because it, when a woman couldn't have kids, she was viewed as worthless. And this made her very sorrowful. Penina, um, <laughs> I wrote this down in my notes, and I, I, I hope it's appropriate, but she was fertile myrtle. Uh, seemed like any time Elkanah looked at her, they had another kid. Um, and, but here's the thing. What Hannah wanted was kids so she could honor her husband, um, that she could have children to raise and be a part of their lives and didn't have it. Penina had it. But she was jealous of one thing. She was jealous of Elkanah's love for Hannah. Now, Hannah had one problem. She had actually a lot of problems, but it all started with the the problem of having no kids. So we see that in verse 2. And I'm going to try my best to go along with the slides, but honestly today, uh, I don't know how I'm going to end up and what this is going to be like. I'm preaching a little bit different than normal. My notes are different. We'll see how it goes. But the next slide, I believe, should show that Hannah had a problem. And that problem was a closed womb. Um, I'm going to try to read along with this story, um, and I hope you can listen along and see how this goes. Uh, So it says in verse 3, Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, were priests of the Lord. So we're introduced to three more people, and we're going to learn later on that these people were not quite what they were cracked up to be either. Uh, so they would go up to Shiloh to worship every year, and on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. There was a possibility that if his wife was not able to have children, he could, he could do away with her if, if he's so pleased, but Elkanah truly loved her. But this is relatable today for husbands. The husband didn't quite understand what she was going through. Um, And he tried to make up for that uh, because at this time, it was ritual that when you go up to Shiloh and and you make your sacrifices, everyone gets a portion of that. And for Hannah, he said that he gave her a double portion. And that was his way of trying to make things a little bit better, a little less embarrassing. um, Because if she was just given one portion, it was going to make... Uh, exaggeration of the fact that she couldn't have kids. So that's what he did to try to make things better. And then, but it says, but he gave a double portion because the Lord closed her room. And her rival, who used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her room. I am interested in the fact that the Bible calls the other wife her rival. I realize that there's a possibility that. There is a um, competition to have more favor with the husband or, or more favor with God, uh, with the amount of kids you have. But the rival made things worse uh, for Hannah. The fact not only she didn't have kids, but then she had uh, her husband's second wife to just have kids like crazy um, and also provoked her and irritated her because of that. Eli and his sons, they managed the temple. We know that um, Elkanah was religious, he followed the law, and then these three people managed the temple. I, I've read commentaries that say that Elkanah could represent God in our lives, the fact that uh, he loves us, um, he can give us double portions. I'm not, 
I'm not sure I'm convinced of that um, through this story. I guess it could be a possibility that that's what God's trying to teach us. Uh, but I'm not going to go in that direction because I'm not sure if I'm quite convinced of that part of it. And then we see the Penina irritator. And this is really important to the story. And today, I, I don't know your story and what similarities it would have to Hannah, but I'm sure there are people in your life that provoke you, irritate you, or maybe there's just situations in general that you just can't get over, and it seems like um, that chapter of your life is one you would rather skip over. But I want to tell you, as you're thinking of those things and how you can relate to this story, it's very important to the total story um, that, that the fact that she was being provoked. It says that um, in verse 7, So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Day after day, she lived, I mean, they were in the same household. Day after day, she was reminded that I can't have kids. And this lady is, is having kids, and she's a mom. She's day after day reminded of the fact that God had closed her womb. And then year after year, when they would go up to the temple to make these offerings, I just I imagine them walking up to the place and her looking over and just feeling that deep hurt that God had closed her womb and she couldn't have kids. And what she knew she wanted to do, her desires and dreams, weren't coming true. This happened for years. So I don't know uh, for your life if, if there's issues that you're dealing with or uh, family problems, there, there could be health issues. Those things can go on for years and years and years, and it seems like God's not answering those prayers. So I imagine Hannah, as she's walking up to the temple, looking over at Penina and just reminded, as they go to, they're going to worship and to feast and to, and to offer their sacrifices, and she's still reminded, God's closed my womb. I, I want to honor my husband. I, I want to raise children to love God. But it's not happening. God has not answered that prayer just yet. She was to the point of weeping, um, and she couldn't even eat. I don't know if I can relate to feeling like I couldn't eat. There's been times where I truly have lost my appetite, and Cassie knows that that's pretty rare. If I feel like I shouldn't eat or couldn't eat or didn't have an appetite, there's a problem. She was so burdened, so hurt, as they're there to celebrate. And I know we're moving up on Christmas, and there's going to be a lot of meals you go to. And maybe there's a possibility that some of you are going through something or are going to be reminded of something when you get to those family meetings that you're, being, you're still dealing with whatever those problems are. And maybe you'll lose your appetite. Maybe you can't eat. She was weeping. And then the husband comes in and uh, makes things worse. In my eyes, it, it seems like. Uh, let me get to uh, verse 8 real quick. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? He don't get it. He does not get it. And I want to say to you also, and it's not directed to just husbands, because we, we have our good things also. Maybe we can't relate all the time. But there are going to be people in your life who just don't understand you and your story, okay? 
And they're going to come to you and try to offer advice, and you're going to be like, man, you don't know me. <laughs> you don't know the story and the things I've been through, even the, the quiet hours that I've been alone with God. You don't know my total story. And they're good-intentioned. Again, he was a religious man. He was well-intentioned, but he made things worse. He says, Hannah, why do you weep? So he does not get it. He doesn't understand that every time they go to worship, she's reminded of this issue in her life. And why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? So obviously he's, he's missing it. He just does not understand. And then lastly, he, he says, am I not more to you than ten sons? And to me, that, that just puts an exclamation point on the whole, the whole thing of him. The husband doesn't get it. And this could be relating back, because Hannah's not the only one that couldn't have children in the Old Testament. He could be relating to the back to the fact that uh, uh, Rachel's rival had ten sons, and maybe that's what he's talking about. And then in verse 9, it says, After I had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. And this is why I say that the provoking and the irritation of her rival, Penina, was so important because after those years and years of, of, of bitterness that she may have developed, I, I can't say that because here's one thing we don't see from Hannah. We don't see her retaliating. We don't see her um, even being loud and, and arguing back. She was quiet. She probably bit her lip moving, going up to the temple. As, she, as she's being provoked and irritated by her rival, she's probably biting her lip, wanting to say some stuff, because I can tell you right now that if that was me, I would be wanting to say some stuff. I would be, uh, I, I hate to put myself in the story as a woman, but uh, if this was another man and, and provoking me about something I couldn't do, I would want to beat him up. I'm, I'm just how it is. If it was year after year, I would get to the point where all I could do was see red. But Hannah, she was quiet. She had a very quiet confidence and, and also that she was conscientious um, that God was still there, even though it seemed like he wasn't answering her prayers. So, so far, the most important part of the story is that she was provoked and then led to prayer. It says that uh, she got up. And this is actually one of the only times that I, I'm sh aware of, but I believe this is the only time that um, a lady would go to the temple for the yearly sacrifice, and then she got up um, during it uh, to go pray. It says, Hannah rose. And now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorsteps of the temple, um, of the Lord, and she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And we're going to read a little bit more about this, um, but she vowed and, and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. She just went through years of, of embarrassment um, years of wanting something that she didn't have. 
Have you ever been so burdened with something that you just couldn't speak? I, I know that we, we read later on in the, Old Test, or the New Testament, the Holy Spirit um, is praying for us and praying on our behalf even when we can't speak. But is there a time that you truly could not speak because you were just so burdened and weighed down by something? I remember as a kid, um, I would go to my grandma. Uh, was, her name was Grandma Neva. She actually lived in a, a trailer park um, as you're turning down 39 uh, close to Dairyland. Um, I remember being with my grandma, and the situation with her, her sons and, and kids were not the greatest. And I remember going to bed with her, and I would be ready to go to sleep looking at the picture of Jesus on the wall that she always had. But I remember her getting down on her knees to pray before bed. And, and my grandma wasn't a very vocal person, or it wasn't the most outgoing, and sometimes <laughs> she could be pretty short with people. But I remember her getting beside her bed, and she would put, get on her knees. And I remember her praying and, and just crying for her sons and daughters that they would, that they would become Christians and that they would uh, love God and begin to follow him because things weren't looking great. Sons in prison and daughters with men who were just um, not good. She was burdened so bad for her kids. And I remember I actually had to officiate her funeral. And I remember trying to preach and, and give the gospel to the same people she was praying for. And I don't know how they responded. I can't say for their salvation. But I just think now, if she could just now see, maybe it wasn't her kids that have all come to be Christians. But I know uh, almost a majority of her grandkids are Christians. And when I think of Hannah being so burdened at the temple and weeping, and it says that she wasn't saying anything. She was just crying out to God, and I picture her on the, on the steps and, and doesn't know what to do. She just left the ceremony because it was just too much to take. So I don't, I, again, I don't know your story. I don't know what you're going through, but have you ever felt that way? <laughs> it says that Eli thought she was drunk. Eli didn't know what was going on either. The men in the story so far haven't been impressive in a, in a couple ways. So in verse 10, it says that she was in deep anguish and prayed to God and, and was weeping bitterly. And then she vowed, they said, if God, if, God if, if you remember me, if you remember this prayer, if you, want, if you remember the desires that I have, I promise to dedicate my son to, to you for all of his days. And it says that no razor shall touch his head. So she was going to dedicate him as someone who was going to, to work at the, um, at the temple and, and be someone who was a priest. And in verse 12, it says, As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. And 13, it says, Hannah was speaking in her heart, and only her lips moved, and her voice wasn't heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. There are going to be times where people misinterpret what's wrong with you. They're going to think they know the answers to your problems. 
but they don't know the whole story. They don't know all the small details and what's really going on. Eli did not know that she was, she was so sad, you know, with the situation that was going on and that she was so sad that she couldn't even speak. Eli didn't know that. And there's going to be people in your life that don't know your whole story either. So Eli said to her, how long have you gone being drunk? Put your wine away. As verse 15 says, but Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been putting, I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. There was a time, I think I was in high school when, when this was said to me. And while I can't relate to not being able to have a kid, I can relate to being told that you're worthless or maybe feeling like it. And again, when we know the whole the story and the culture of that day, the fact that she was a wife but couldn't have kids, a lot of people would view her as worthless. But she has hope still. And the, and the message of the ser, um, sermon is Jesus is hope. And she still has hope. She says, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And then Eli answered. I think it clicked for Eli. Oh, yeah, she's, she's speaking clearly. She knows what's going on. She, she's very um, aware of what her problem is. And he responds. And he, like I said, he now probably gets it. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. I remember being told I was worthless. And right now, she felt worthless. She, she had re reached a point where she could no longer go on day by day, year by year, of feeling worthless. She had to get up and go to somebody who could do something about it. Her husband couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't even figure out what was wrong. He thought that he was enough that uh, she didn't even need to have 10 kids because he was as good. And she couldn't even go to the priest at the time. She had to go straight to God. So my encouragement for you this morning is that when you're going through those problems, when you're going through those chapters in your life that you would rather skip over, go to God. It's the prayer that she prayed that changed the course of Israel. And we're going to get a little bit further in before we finish up the sermon. But it was the prayer and her going to God that changed the outcome. Hannah was happy again. She got to go eat. And I'm happy for her. I'm glad she got to eat. And she had a smile again. She did not forget the vow either. And I want to read verse 19 to you. And then we're going to um, go skip ahead to Samuel. It says, they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. I'm, I'm glad that they abbreviated where they came from instead of putting all the other stuff like in verse 1. Uh, Elkanah knew uh, Hannah. You guys can interpret that however you want. Um, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. God remembered her. He did not forget the vow that she made, 
and he did not forget that she was going to dedicate him to God. And at this point um, in Israel's timeline, God was looking for someone to transition the, the nation into kingship from judges. He was looking for someone that, that would vow to be dedicated to him, and he found that person in Hannah. And he was, she was going to dedicate Samuel to him. I don't think I had this on a slide, but I want to read a couple more verses to you because the story is just awesome. It says, The man Elkanah and all of his house went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice, this is in verse 21, and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him. Man, I, I'm thinking this lady is waiting for the right time to show the world her son. I would imagine that maybe she caused a little bit of a scene when she left that dinner and celebration to go outside and, and, and cry and weep. And then Eli, how do you forget a lady appearing to be drunk on, uh, at the doorstep of the temple? Eli remembered, and she's waiting. She's had that son she's prayed for, and she says, no, when the time is right, I will take him. It says, she says, as soon as a child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Uh, wait until you have weaned him only. May the Lord establish his word. I get a sense that Elkanah is just like, okay, whatever you say. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull. That could be skipped over pretty easily. The fact that she waited until he was ready to go, and it says she took a three-year-old bull. Does that anything stick out to you about that? I, I picture there's two scenes, or two chapters in this story, uh, one of the first ones being the fact that she was at the doorstep of the temple and just crying out to God, please remember me, me and remember the, the vow that I've made to you. That I've got Penina who is driving me nuts. She's irritating me, provoking me because she can have kids anytime she wants and I can't. And she leaves and gets pregnant and then she's waiting to go to the temple at the right time. I read something on Facebook this past week about the difference between an elephant um, and a dog and their pregnancies and how they work. And, and there was a conversation between the elephant and the dog. And, and the elephants take a lot longer to birth their offspring than dogs do. Um, and they're having a conversation. They both get pregnant. The dog has a litter um, and says, Where, where's, where's your child? I thought you were pregnant. Um, the elephant's like, yeah, I, I am. I promise I am. And the dog has another litter, another litter, and it just like, what's going on? I thought you were pregnant. I thought there was going to be an offspring for you. Like, why? And then there's this dog who just keeps having more um, offspring. And the elephant finally says, I am pregnant. Trust me. But the difference is when I give birth to my child, the ground will shake. When I give birth to my child, people will stop and be in awe of my child. There's a difference between the two. Sometimes delaying does not mean denial. And sometimes what God's answer is 
takes longer than maybe it seems like it should. But I promise you, when his answer comes, the ground will shake. <laughs> Samuel had a miraculous birth. He had a, he had a mom that couldn't have kids. God fixed that. Uh, we're in a season of, of miraculous birth with Mary and, and being the fact that she was a virgin and had a miraculous birth with Jesus. There's a little bit of similarity there. And Hannah's not the only example. I've, I, like there's Sarah, Rachel, and then Mary in the New Testament. Miraculous births happen with God. Again, I can't relate exactly to Hannah, but there, there's, there's certain aspects in that where I can. Uh, I know for Cassie and I, it, it took longer than what we'd hoped to try to have a kid. Um, and there, there was days of sadness and days of doubt, maybe. Was it going to happen? And now we have the most rambunctious kid I've ever met. Yeah, amen. God hears in response to our prayers, though. In verse 20, says, and just repeating this, And in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. So what are you praying for? What's something that you've been praying for that seems like God's not answering? Is it a job? Is it kids? Maybe it's your health. What are you praying for? Hannah started a new chapter in her story, and she also started a new chapter in the story of Israel. So today I want to, for those of you who have went through those things, aren't you glad there's more to the story than just those bad times in your life where it seemed like, you would just rather skip over those. Aren't you glad there's more to the story? And then we, I want to move on to Samuel just a little bit. I said that uh, Eli and his sons were, were corrupt, and uh, they weren't doing some things the way they were supposed to. Um, they were over the temple, but it says that Eli would let his sons do things at the temple that they should not be doing. I'll, I'll let you go into that. Um, but there were some very unholy things happening there. I'm going to go back uh, just a little bit. As, as Hannah is going to the temple, again, I said she has a three-year-old bull taking with her, and she brought the other things that were required for the sacrifice. And she's taking him to the temple to live with Eli and his sons. And they were corrupt. She didn't know that. But when she's walking to the temple, she's taking this three-year-old bull. And this isn't a normal amount of sacrifice that she would take with her. This was lavish. This was like extra. Um, the youth group, I, I, I might be behind the times already, but she was flexing. When she was walking up to the temple, it wasn't just a calf or it wasn't just a little bit of flour. She took more than she was supposed to, and I picture her walking up those steps a little bit differently that time than the other times where she was irritated and provoked by Penina. And she's thinking, no, I, I, all those years that I walked up here and was sad, no, this time's different. I'm taking my son to the temple um, that I had prayed for, and I'm going to offer him to God. And she took an extra amount with her that time. 
I, I, just, I love that picture of her going to the temple and kind of showing off what God had done to her or done for her. So because of Eli, God was common. When I say that, that might sound good, that it was common for people to know of God. But that's not what I'm talking about. It was God had become so common that hearing from God was rare. And I thought, yeah, that's probably a little bit similar to how we are. I think of all the technology we have. I realize that some of us love to have books. We just love to have paper. I get it. I'm not addicted to either one. But we have so much access to God's word in the United States, but it seems like it's a little bit rare to hear from God, though. So because of Eli and the way he lived and the way he ran the temple, God was common and hearing from God was rare. And that was kind of the problem for Israel that God was trying to correct. So we're after the will of God. And I want to go to chapter 3 real quick. Hannah dropped her son off that last time to the temple she would only see her son once a year after that. I was telling Cassie, I was talking her through the story yesterday, and she, as a mom, she thought of, wow, like that is very difficult. Like, I don't know if I could just take my child somewhere and drop them off and only see them once a year. So that's, that's what she's noticing, and, and that is a difficult thing. And then not only is it, what makes it worse a little bit, I guess, is that fact that she didn't know exactly what was going on at the temple. So I want to go to chapter 3 and read this part to you. Because so far, we're kind of seeing the story move along on how God's working for the nation of Israel through Hannah, and now it's through Samuel. It says, Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And so we see another problem, the fact that Hearing from God was rare. And then I want to move to verse 4. I think I'm along with the presentation. I'm not sure. Uh, it says, Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, Here I am. Do those words sound familiar at all? Do you know any other stories where you, we hear people say, God, here I am. It, it, use me, God. But Samuel ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. Go lay down. Like, why, why are you waking me out of my sleep? Like, what's, go back to bed. I, I picture Reagan doing that. She likes to get out of her bed and come to ours sometimes. But I, I picture her coming to me and saying, Yeah, you called me? You said something? No, I was asleep. Go back to bed. He says, I did not call you, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose, went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Go lie down. Like, why do you keep waking me up? You're driving me nuts. It's not, that's not in my version. That's just, uh, that's just what I picture happening. Go lie down again. So Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Like, you're playing games with me now. <laughs> you're saying something, I'm coming to you. 
uh, you're saying that I'm crazy, go back to bed. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. And therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay back down in his place. We saw in the first part of this story in chapter 1 that all those times, all those bad chapters of Hannah's life led her to pray. Led her to pray. God answered the prayer. We have Samuel. And I'm not going to get into the whole story of Samuel. We can't today. That would take forever. But I want to point out the fact that God was calling Samuel and Samuel didn't yet know God or know what God's will for his life or calling was on his life. And Eli told him, go lay down in your place. So Eli knew that God was calling him. But it took Samuel to lay down and listen. And then in verse 10, at the end it says, uh, As the Lord came and stood, calling at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. There's two aspects of prayer, I believe. I believe there's, there's us crying out to God, and there's also us listening to God. And I believe that's where Samuel is here at this point. He didn't know what he was supposed to do with it, but he wanted to listen. I want to say that uh, for Samuel and his life and our lives today, that change is the only thing that's constant, and we hear that all the time. Uh, the only thing you can count on is change. And in verse 19, it says, Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. Samuel was established as a prophet at that point. Did you know that Samuel served a few different roles, um, leadership roles, even uh, at the temple and then even for the nation of Israel? I want to be careful in saying this because it could, it could be taken the wrong way. But I know in youth group, um, I was told this, and I've probably even been guilty of this, is that we tell our kids and our children that they need to find what God's calling is on their life so they can then do what God has made them to do. And that sounds good. That sounds good. But what I found is that discounts all those other chapters in the story. We see bad times happen, change happen. I'm, I'm convinced now that finding your calling is not nearly as important as just obeying and worshiping God in the season that you're in because things change. And... When I was 16, I remember I, f I prayed at an altar. I was probably a little bit similar to Hannah. I didn't know what to pray. I knew God was calling me to do something, and I didn't know what to even say. But I remember, I don't even know who the guy was. We were at a church camp, but a guy came next to me, and uh, he said, I know God has called you to be a preacher. I didn't like that answer. 
I was content with just being a youth group boy and doing so many other things I wanted to do. I thought God was going to call me to be a motocross racer or, or race cars or something. I thought that was going to be my calling. But I knew at 16 um, there was a very strong conviction that God had called me to be a preacher. And that was a calling in my life. Um, there were some difficult years after that, very difficult. Um, we, we've all had probably bad experiences at church. We get burnt at church uh, from people who want control and, and just desire things that um, aren't of God. And I remember going through those and being so confused about what God, God wanted from me. Like, what, I, I, I am for certain that he called me to preach at 16. Things aren't going the way I thought they would. And then I met Cassie. Um, she is a, a, an answer to prayer. She helped direct me in a lot of ways. And, and she, even to this day, she is someone who I could not do ministry without. But then I was called to be a husband. God had called me to be a good husband. So I was called to preach, called to be a husband. And then five years later, right, we had a kid. I was called to be a dad. They're all different. They're all callings on our lives. But the seasons have changed. The chapters in the book have changed of my life. And I, again, I'm more convinced now than ever that as we go through life, God is more concerned about serving him in the season that we're in and the chapter of the book that we're in of our life. So, you could, I mean, you could be 50, 60 years old, close to retirement, and still figuring out, trying to figure out what God wants you to do. It would be my hope, and not just trying to play in words, that today, all those things you're praying for, those things you've been burdened for, that you just give them to God. That you are more concerned with your relationship with God more than what God wants you to do. I tell the kids in youth group all the time that I believe God's more concerned about who you are more than what you do. And that's what I want to share with everybody. The relationship you have with God is more important than the things you do here on earth. Now, they will influence the things you do, so let's look big picture of this whole story, and, and we'll, I'll try to close this out. But before Hannah prayed, it was rare to hear from God. Hannah had no kids. They were terrible years, chapters she'd rather skip over, and she would just rather forget all of those. But that led her to praying. God answered those prayers, and then Samuel was born. Samuel was dedicated um, to the Lord, and he was at the temple and was, and was serving under Eli. And he heard a calling from God. And he was confused about it. Let's be honest. When he heard from God, he didn't know it was God. He didn't even know what he was supposed to do next. He thought he was going to be a priest at the temple uh, for his life. He was confused and thought it was Eli. So he didn't know what was going on. But if you read more into the story of Samuel, story was that he was a miraculous baby. He was an answer to prayer for the whole nation of Israel. He became a priest, then he became a prophet. 
um, or I'm sorry, he, so he's a priest, prophet, and a judge. All separate callings on his life, all different. So callings change, just like mine have changed. Our relationship with God is constant, though. Um, and then the last slide as we close. What areas do you feel weak or barren today? Again, I, I realize that I don't know everybody's story. Only you do, really. But in what ways do you feel like Hannah? What ways do you feel so burdened that you cry at night and that maybe, just maybe, you're doubting, is God denying me? Or does he not remember me? And do you feel like you don't know your purpose or calling? I would challenge you to pray, because that's what Hannah did, and listen as Samuel did. So Matt's going to uh, come up and, and close us in a song. Since prayer was the most important part of this whole story uh, for God to change the nation of Israel, I want us to do that today. I want us to go to God and just share your heart with him. Open up your life to him. If, if anyone wants to pray and needs somebody to pray with them, I'm more than willing to do that with you. I'll, I'll be up here in the front. Um, but just do that. Open up your heart with him and pray and listen. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this story uh, that you've led me to and that we have hope because of you. Even when our story and, our, and the chapters of our life look like you are maybe denying us, God, we know that you will respond. You do answer prayers. And I pray that you answer our, our prayers and the ones that we speak today. I know everyone here has a different need, a different burden that they're dealing with in this life. I pray that you would meet with us. And we love you. And, and God, we only, we only want your will. That's all we want. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.